Scare Live. Let's see. There's a lot of buttons here. That's the wrong button. Hold on a second. Bear with me. I only have two hands. Let's see here. Hey, everybody. Is my microphone on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Let's turn off this music here. There you go. Wave your hand if you can hear me. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. Uh, looks like we got a couple of people in the chat. Ubaldo, uh, good to see you, my friend. And, uh, you know, I would love to see um, you uh, post uh, a couple of pictures of uh, where you're going to put those stickers because uh, we had a nice little collection of stickers that uh, we sent you. Um, very, uh, very appreciative of your support throughout uh, the Red 5 Network. I see Ubaldo in our chats uh, from time to time, and it's wonderful to see uh, some regular folks enjoy a lot of the stuff that we talk about, a lot of nerdy things. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, another shout out to, um, you know, there's a couple of people that, uh, constantly uh, retweet my stuff and i want to say thank you to you guys uh tina we just had uh, a review uh tina and i talked about guardians of the galaxy uh volume three we did a quick little review impromptu so thank you very much tina and uh vader rapina sky uh, vader rapina is an account that uh has been following us for a very long time and uh i appreciate uh your support uh whenever we uh do some tweeting and some social media stuff it's uh, always a lot of fun but uh this community is amazing and uh i was just talking to my guest uh heidi i'll bring her out in a second uh but we were talking about how um the internet really uh, has uh, given us an opportunity to meet a lot of people both uh in person and virtually um, I know a lot of uh, shows that have, you know, um, hosts and, ho and, and co-hosts that are kind of spread around the country and, and really around the world. Um, it's really difficult to um, to schedule, you know, folks when uh, when we live really all over the place, West Coast, East Coast, the UK, Australia, wherever. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, conversing and really making connections uh, I think uh, social media really is um, probably, you know, this is the best, uh, the best way to do it. So thank you everyone for, uh, yeah, supporting us here um, at uh, Scarif. Um, we have a very cool show, uh, uh, an awesome topic. And I, I know uh, here at the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast, we usually, um, we, we usually go off the path um, to, to kind of find some really interesting topics and discussions. Um, tonight's show is going to be very cool. Um, and I will drop the audio for this show on Tuesday uh, for anybody that is not like a YouTube person and really likes to listen to the discussion, you know, as they're driving to and fro uh, on Monday mornings or Tuesday mornings. Uh, so I'll, I'll drop that audio in the um, in the podcatchers uh, for you guys. But uh, please, if you're here, thank you very much for stopping by. And uh, don't forget to hit the thumbs up. Um, yeah. So uh, what are we going to talk about? So I've got a, a wonderful guest. Um, I have been kind of uh, lurking in her chat for a while, um, talking about costumes and things like that. I'm going to ask her um, where, because I, I can't remember where uh, we connected. Um, I think I did a costume discussion 
two years ago with uh, Marisha uh, from uh, Course Not Radio Underground, I think. And then somewhere in there, there was a costume connection. Um, but uh, I'm going to bring Heidi out in, in a minute. Uh, but first, uh, let me take a break and uh, we'll be right back after this. is now the ultimate power in the universe. Excellent. Let's put myself over here. We got some things to show. Heidi, welcome to the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Hi, Ro. Thanks so much for having me. That was a really cool opening there. <laughs> my, uh, background, awesome. my background in broadcasting doesn't let me do things on the cheap. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yes, thank really you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you for um, for agreeing to come on. Um, I, I think uh, you know, again, you know, being a fan of movies and a fan of of uh, you know, especially the movies that we like to talk about, the science fiction and the fantasy. Um, it's um, it's going to be a great discussion, and I want to uh, before before we get into that, you know, I I mentioned that we we're going to talk about costumes. Um, one of the aspects of costumes that we're going to talk about, uh, we decided to pick like five of our favorite costumes that uh, for some reason speak to us or are interesting um, in the fandom, in movies and stuff like that. Some very iconic um, costumes that we'll uh, we'll talk about for sure. Um, but, uh, before that I was, um, I was watching some of your old shows and, uh, there is, uh, one aspect of costuming that I find interesting. And it, I think it started for me, it started, uh, during the early, the early days of the Avengers movies, uh, from the Marvel cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially because I remember watching kind of like a behind the scenes and I love watching all that behind the scenes stuff. Cause it really, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I got into the field that I'm in uh, professional wise, uh, watching behind the scenes of Star Wars and and ILM and and uh, the model makers and the editors and the sound effects people. Uh, to me, I found that fascinating as a seven, eight year old. Um, and I wanted to absorb as much as I could um, and and practice. Um, I mean, I blew stuff in the back. I blew stuff up in the backyard. Um, I recorded stuff just like Ben Burt. Uh, the sound, you know, the, the sound guy from from Lucasfilm. I, I mm -hmm. shot, shot miniatures in the, in the backyard. I yeah. mean, all that all that stuff. Which you're for basically me, Sid from uh, from uh, uh, Toy Story. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's it's you know it's one of those things that really interests me. Um, but watching, um, you know, we get, we get to a point in in both the history of cinema, but really the uh, the advancement of technology where. Um, a lot of times it's indistinguishable when you're watching it. And, and unless you really know specifically what's real and what's not, um, you know, you really, your, your eyes can be really fooled. Uh, one of those aspects of the, um, I think it was um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There was a behind the scenes clip that I found fascinating um, where I guess the Falcon had a head wrap. Uh, like a the the mask that went over uh, the the actor, 
and they were talking about how the the material didn't really sit well on the actor's neck this area right here and they had to go in digitally to uh, to pretty much cover the fact that the the actual fabric was was opening every so often when he went when he moved his neck and i found it fascinating that they went in and created a 3d section of that of that um costume to to make it seem like it, it was sitting on his neck and those are the little things that fascinate me from a special effects um perspective that that really blow my mind and continue to do so as i learn more about what special effects artists do to uh to kind of help us transport ourselves to either a galaxy far far away or some other dimension and it's um it's fascinating um, but I, I, I was I was saying I was watching one of your older shows and uh, you had someone on there talking about the sustainability of costume design and, and, and the material and stuff like that. Um, before we started the, the show, I, I kind of mentioned that it's kind of a double edged sword where, you know, the CGI costumes obviously are great to look at, but they take away work from artists. Um, but at the same time, there's so much work put into these pieces that sometimes these beautiful costumes are only used once. And as your guest on the show said, sometimes they just get stuck in a box and they stay there for, for a really long time. Um, I wanted to get your take um, on the show as far as the sustainability of the costume industry. Um, where do you stand on that? Because like I said, it is kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, well, I know I actually I went down to see the exhibit for Thor Ragnarok. And I remember that Hela's, you know, headdress, uh, it was digital, but they had to like 3D print it as well. Like, so even though it was digitally done after the fact, they they did have a digital 3D printing of it. So I think things are, it's funny, because I think this is the video re re regarding like, looking 20 years in the future. And I think we're already seeing a lot of this stuff happen, but there's a lot of things regarding costumes. I don't think there's an issue with where the costumes end up. I think that there's always going to be a place like a lot of them get someone who was made a comment about this on the video actually. And I said, a lot of them do end up getting sold at an auction at the end. So after wrap, a lot of stuff gets auctioned off. Um, like it was funny when I was doing my original star Wars video, like Alec Guinness's robe ended up back in the rental house where they had gotten it. Like they, and then they didn't realize it was there. And then one day someone found it. So that's the other thing. A lot of times if they're rented, they go back to the rental houses, they get auctioned, they go on tour, like, you know, game of Thrones, the costumes all go on tour. Yeah. They, a lot of them do get put back into stock, but I think where there is a big problem is uh, the fact that they have to build so many costumes. Like for instance, if there are a or there is blood or there is, you know, the costumes have to go through a series of different distresses or what have you. They have to build multiple costumes. So that's not very sustainable. So like, you know, for instance, if you did make one costume and then throughout the series of the production, you could just add the distressing on it digitally. That would, you know, if you're going to be looking at reduce, reuse, recycle, the reduce right. is obviously going to be better and it will be cheaper, but there's still always going to be like, I'm not really worried for caution people. Like, I think there's always going to be people who are going to be needed. It's the same with them talking about actors being replaced. I'm not of the camp where I'm kind of worried about that because, you know, you're, you and I, I think are close in age. And there was a time when they said, 
the books are done. You know, everything's going to be digital. There's oh, going to yeah. be no more paper books or no one is going to go to the movies anymore because there's HBO. Like I remember when HBO came out and they're like, that's it. You know, people are going to be staying home watching HBO. No one's going to go to the theater. Well, people are going to the theater more than, than ever. Right. So yeah. that's sort of how I feel about that. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I and I, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, I, I, I think your point about the HBO and the theaters uh, is, is well received obviously, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of theaters. Um, you know, it's funny though, because you know, with, with AI, I mean, people are doing, are, are saying the same thing that they've said in the past, um, you know, as technology progresses, I guess we find new uh, uh, uses for that. Um but I, I think a lot of times the technology advances uh, faster than we know what to do with. Um, and uh, oh, speak! I was telling you about uh, our Canadian friend. Uh, oh, here he, here hi, he Charles. <laughs> here he is. <laughs> Too funny. Um, hey, Charles, what's up? So, yeah, I was telling, telling Roe that I'm an insecure Canadian, so I always have to mention that I'm Canadian on every every possible way. So, Charles, maybe you relate to that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, longtime listener asks if any Sandman costume fans from Logan's Run, nineteen seventy six. We, uh, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to watch the show. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, so I, yeah, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, technology, and, and again, you know, going back to my childhood, watching Star Wars for the very first time. You know, the technology of filmmaking and movie making was what kind of reeled me in. And it still does, you know, to this day, I still find it fascinating what they're doing. You've got, uh, you know, uh, young Mark Hamill, you know, popping up in brand new Star Wars, uh, you know, in The Mandalorian. Um, you know, they're still playing with a lot of that technology, but I think uh, I think it's fascinating nevertheless. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Um, what other things do, besides costume and stuff? I know you you talk about that um, on your show, but what other things um, intrigue you in in the filmmaking business? Well, I'm first of all, I'm a huge nerd, um, as I think many of your followers are. I I have always been just like sort of I just I have to repeat what you said. My very first experience watching Star Wars, that was probably the first time I really noticed a movie like, you know, I'd watch The Wizard of Oz or I don't know. I can't think of what other Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something like that. Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. But when I saw Star Wars, I was 10. I went to see it at the theater with my dad. And I came home and I was like, oh my God, you know, and then you, you were saying you needed to find out everything there was a, mm -hmm. about it. So there was like a making of Star Wars that came out on TV that I was just like obsessed with. Yeah. And then my brother was like a member of a Star Wars fan club. So I had to join that. And then, you know, you would get monthly newsletters from them right. and, and my brother would buy Starlog magazine and I would pour over Starlog. And so I still have I, all mine. You have all your Starlog. Yep. <laughs> and yep. then, you know, and then for our Halloween that year, I dressed up as Princess Leia. 
my brother made my blaster for me out of like dowel and, and paper towel, uh, you know, cylinders and things yeah. like that. So, you know, that was probably my very first sort of, uh, experience with any kind of fandom. I didn't even know there was a fandom thing. I didn't even know that until probably about seven or eight years ago. And I felt so cheated that I didn't know about it. Wow. <laughs> you so mean now like, I found like, my like, people. You mean like a group of fans that loved the franchise? Like, like love anything, like like love oh, to yeah. nerd out over certain shows. So yeah. I kind of got into my channel by doing fantasy, but sci-fi has always been my favorite. And then fantasy is probably like my next favorite and then maybe horror. So the, so I'm a huge like lover of movies, TV shows, series and things like that. And those are so that's sort of how, where my passion starts. And then with the costumes, what I try to do is I try to talk about the storytelling through costume. That's sort of where I yeah. come from it. So there could be things that are really beautiful and look amazing on an actor but what's different with costuming as opposed to just fashion design is how it tells the story of the actors and I think that's how I kind of started following you because you talk a lot about that on Twitter so I started following you and then I started reacting to some of your posts and things like that yeah absolutely I think um you know, it's it's funny though because you know a lot of people get into sci-fi and stuff like that because they love the visuals, they love the spaceships, they love all the adventure stories. But I think for me and a lot of people, um, it really is because of the behind the scenes and all the stuff, all the work. I, I as a even as a kid, I was just intrigued at the amount of work that was done to create this this world out of nothing. It's like kind of a really cool world building experience um for me and i i um i found that fascinating um let's see what comments do you have uh the viper pilots from Battlestar galactica oh yeah i love those um and it's funny because you know a lot of people try to get me to watch the new Battlestar galactica which i know is uh award-winning and all that stuff um i still like the the uh the original uh bsg a lot better than the new stuff I just can't wrap my head around a blonde Cylon for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the original as well. And, uh, you know, Buck Rogers, like any of those shows from the yeah. 70s and 80s, like those, you know, I totally adore them. And I love kind of geeking out over <laughs> over those shows. I'm actually thinking of doing a Buck Rogers in the 21st century uh, breakdown of the costumes because I love that movie or that show so much. Oh, well, uh, you should absolutely do that. We uh, a couple of weeks ago, we or not weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, one of our patrons um, and I got together and we talked about Buck Rogers um, in the 25th century. So it's it's really a great um, it's a great era. Uh, you had a lot of uh, science fiction television from the late 70s, uh, early 80s, obviously, Battlestar Galactica, you had, um, you know, Buck Rogers. Um, I think we're um, one of my followers that they, they really want to get into the V series, which happened in the, you know, in the early 80s. So, um, oh, v, yeah. yeah, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that kind of scared me, that show. There were some scenes in that that were really, uh, I think I probably was too young to watch it. They oh, were very oh, yeah. adult. I remember, yeah, I remember there's some freaky parts, especially when they, uh, when the humans found out that uh, the visitors were not really humanoid. And uh, I think it was Diana that um, took a, uh, either it was a mouse or a hamster and uh, her jaw just opened. 
and then the hamster went in and she ate she ate the rodent that was kind of spooky. yeah oh charles is asking about cylon and no it's not bo-katan bo-katan was actually um <laughs> katie sackoff she was actually uh uh starbuck starbuck exactly Cylon. Yeah, the cylon was uh, trisha uh i can't remember the actress's name but she's Canadian. right yeah. <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah absolutely um and yes charles uh freddy krueger was in v and i think we, obviously before he was freddy krueger so um there are actually a lot of actors uh in in that television show um another very classic 70s uh series that we did a show on was space 1999 which was another wonderful yeah show and i watched television. it for sure it was great the lady with the dot eyebrows dot 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin and Martin Martin, what's his name was in it? Martin Lando. Oh yeah, um, the uh, the young lady with the dots on her forehead. Her name is Mia. She was a Mia, changeling. Yes. Uh, my it's first TV, years. my first TV crush. <laughs> oh well, I thought it, like I thought everyone was into uh, and, and uh, Aaron from um, Buck Rogers. Uh, you know, uh, with Aaron the white the tight. Oh, Aaron Gray. Yeah, yeah, in the tight white suit. I thought that was everyone's crush. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think she wore, she wore, no, yeah, she was season one. I know season two was uh, a little different. I think uh, television shows back then were changing things up for their second season. I know we talked to, about that for Space 1999, um, which they had a like weird, um, I guess, the, a weird concept about, second seasons they said we the our audience saw the first season we need to change it up otherwise they're going to watch the same thing they watched in the first season but it's one of the reasons that people like coming back to a show because it's it's similar mm -hmm. to what they were watching but yeah now popular. were you a star trek fan at all um i i was and i think i wasn't when i was younger but star trek is one of those shows that um you know i i think I examined a lot of the philosophy of Star Trek as I was, uh, you know, I was I as I was growing older and more mature and really thinking about the uh, the themes that Star Trek presented in a kind of a sci-fi envelope. But um, yeah, I, I think there's a there's kind of a, a an urban legend that says that if you like Star Wars, then there's absolutely no way you can like Star Trek. But I think I've my my um, my geek card has both star franchises on, on both. Yeah, sides. me too. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, my brother, he's much older than me. So he was a Star Trek fan and was, and wasn't a lesser of a Star Wars fan, but I probably would be like, I would call myself like next generation Star, uh, Star Trek fan. And I'm enjoying, like I'm on third season of Picard. Uh, it's, wow. I think it's great. Like I saw your post about that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm definitely, uh, I'm totally down for it. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, we love that stuff. So uh, let's talk costumes. Um, one of sure. the one of the things that I remember this was well when I went to a Star Wars: The Power of Costume exhibit at the museum in Saint Petersburg. This was what 2017. Uh, yeah, Museum of Fine Arts in St. Petersburg, Florida. And it was uh, it was such a great exhibit. And I know you talked about exhibits when costumes kind of travel. Mm -hmm. um, there was a Black Panther exhibit that uh, recently traveled. Um, oh, and I was going to ask you, 
Um, have you ever been to uh, to conventions, to, to fan conventions? I've been. At, we have Fan Expo in Toronto. I've been to that like three times. I, I've actually. I, I was kind of crazy. I just took my microphone down there and started just stop people on the on the street. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got, a, I got a press pass. I got a press pass, and I and then yeah. I went, I went in, and I would just stop people, and I'd be like, "Sorry, hey, do you want to talk to me?" <laughs> so if they were all dressed up, I yeah, that's what I would do. So it was really fun. Absolutely, that's how I started uh, the uh, podcast uh, from Star Wars Celebration here in Chicago in 2019. But we have a we have a fan expo coming uh, in August, so that should be a lot of fun. But it, it is fun. What did you think of the costumes, the cosplayers? Uh, a lot of them are really good. Like I, yeah. uh, uh, and I see the same people that I, you know, I would get to know them, but, uh, our fan expo is also in August. And then I think they do a smaller one in the, in the winter, but no, I think they're really good. I'm always like blown away. And I've actually interviewed some cosplayers that I've just met on online and I'm always like completely blown away by what they do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously we've got the 501st, we've got the Mando Mercs, uh, mm -hmm. the Rebel, Rebel Legion, which are, you know, more um, formally organized cosplayer groups. But really a lot of the, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, you get families to dress up like, you know, members of Ghostbusters or, um, you know, Star Wars Rebels. And it's, uh, it's really great to see the work that put that is put into these costumes. Um, because you know, nine times out of 10, they are, um, they're visually stunning the, the material that, uh, you know, and it's funny because throughout the years, I think, um, 3d printing has really changed the, the, the face of, of cosplay because really you can, you can kind of, uh, you know, program your 3d printer to kind of, you know, if you need something specific, you can just make it yourself and you don't have to kind of look for it or find it. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I went to this one exhibit and they uh, it was a, a college and this girl was dressed up like Wonder Woman and she had 3D printed pretty much most aspects of her costume. And then she told me she went to college and at the college they had a 3D printer and a lot of the students were able to use the printer. So I thought that was really cool. But I know a lot of students now or not students, but cosplayers will buy their own 3D printers sure. and 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 do it. But they'll use all kinds of really interesting tech you know products like warbler you know uh like the molding their own armor and some of the cosplayers will even do what's called screen accurate so they'll they'll track down the exact materials that were used in the costumes and and make it basically as it would be appearing on screen so that's always yeah. like pretty amazing yeah it's amazing and then, you know a lot of the 501st i mean you have costumes that are probably why like way better than what you see on screen because they mm -hmm. really put work into it they, they they add lights to it it's it's uh it's fantastic um i wanted to ask you uh you know i mentioned 3d printers but what other aspect of of cosplay technology uh, that you have seen do you think kind of changed the game for cosplayers is there like, a, like i a think fabric probably or yeah, I think all, first of all, social media has really helped because then a lot of them can like um, share their own techniques. Like that's one thing I've noticed. A lot of them they're they're posting everything that they're doing. They're sharing all of their techniques. They're uh, uh, they're doing tutorials online, and and then you can follow it. And uh, but also like there was this really great show. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's um they actually had a cosplayer in it, and I thought that was so cool. I was like there was an actual cosplayer, and she made a Dalek costume for the convention that's that was in the story and oh, i thought that was really really neat and then she goes to a, a cosplay convention 
And so, you know, you're even starting to see cosplayers as part of like pop culture now. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's it was um, what's that song? It's hip to be square. Now it's definitely hip to be square. I think uh, you know, it is. Uh, I mean, some the, of them are making a living at it. They actually, sure. you know, you know, yeah. they can make a living at it. Yeah. Photo with all their appearances that uh, they appearances. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's it's really cool. I, I think, uh, you know, it. I think geeks have come a long way um, to be, uh, I guess, accepted in, in general population as, as, as it were. Um, but uh, yeah, every, everybody wants a piece of, uh, of the nerds now. Yeah. The nerds have found their place in the world. I think. Yeah. For sure. It it might've been the other way around. I think the, I think regular people kind of have been absorbed into our culture. We, we, uh, we have not stopped being nerds. Um, I think, uh, you know, we, um, we won. (laughs) We did. Revenge of the nerds. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So, uh, I mentioned that we, we both picked five costumes or five Mm -hmm. styles of, of epic movie costumes. Um, and I, I really wanted to kind of, uh, dissect them in a way that, uh, will give our audience, uh, you know, something to think about. Um, and absolutely Megan, nerds rule the world absolutely but um let's get to the first costume i don't know if it's one of my selections or one of yours but let's check it out sure all right so here we have deckard harrison ford blade runner um tell me a little bit about why you selected uh this costume Okay, well, first of all, <laughs> I was going to say, when you said, okay, Hadi, come to me with five of, of your favorite costumes. So I'm like, oh my gosh. But I guess I was sort of like, I wanted to come up with costumes that I think are not only for me that I absolutely love, but are also kind of like, you know, iconic. And as I was mentioning to you earlier, when I saw Star Wars at the age of 10, I was, I think I was 16 when I saw Blade Runner, saw it in the theater. Again, I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) this is the most amazing movie of all time that I've ever seen. And I was already a big Harrison Ford fan, but it was funny. I'll just tell you a quick little story. When I first met my husband, we went on a date. We went up for margaritas and I said to him, Hey, like, uh, what's your, uh, what's your favorite movie? And he's like, Oh my God, that's such a hard question to answer. I don't know. He says, well, I guess if I'd had to pick one, it would be Blade Runner. And I went, Blade Runner, that's my favorite movie. And then, you know, then we got married. So, the rest, the rest so, of history. So, okay. So, and there's so many great costumes in, in uh, Blade Runner, but, you know, I chose this one because obviously Deckard is the protagonist in the movie. And it's sort of like uh, a 1940s film noir, sort of, but with a futuristic, like, aspect of these in the future sure so he's sort of you know loosely based upon um the gum shoes of the 40s like the, the, you know the private dick kind of thing um and so they've given him sort of a futuristic I, I, they were sort of saying it's sort of like a humphrey bogart you know the maltese falcon or uh, that type of thing and and but the one thing and i was going to mention this we're, i mean because we're going to be going to a different costume later one thing harrison ford said when he was cast in this role, he did not want to wear a fedora. Charles Node, who did the costume design for this, uh, had originally designed this sort of futuristic trench coat with a fedora, like a private detective. And he said, I don't want to wear that because I've just come off this other movie 
called Indiana Jones, where I wear a fedora for the whole time, right? So they ditched the fedora. The other thing, though, that he did is he cut his hair. He went out and cut his hair after he did Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he did that without telling Ridley Scott. So Ridley Scott was pissed that mm. he did that, gave himself this haircut. Um, so what else I wanted to say about it is that actually I had this really great quote um, from the, about this. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. So Charles Note, who's the costume designer, who also did Braveheart, by the way, he said it was redefining that what a futuristic trench coat would look like and what his one suit would look like um, production. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So the trick is not to go too far is what Ridley Scott said. So they basically gave him the trench, which he pretty much wears the whole movie. They give him a sack suit, but it's actually just really a jacket and pants that don't really match. And he had two shirts and I think he had one tie. So he's really wearing pretty much one costume through the whole movie. So it had to really make a statement. So to kind of like make it a little bit more contemporary or modern, they added some like sort of techniques to the jacket, like some of the ribbing uh, on the collar. And of course it could, it could flip up, you know, mm, against the yeah. terrible acid rain. Uh, and, uh, and I think the co the costume, I think the coat, I think was cotton, but it looked like it, it had like the, the waterproofing put on it. Like you would have on a, a gabardine trench coat type thing. Um, yeah, and then the coat, this is really, we were talking earlier what happens to the costumes. The coat was actually auctioned off. I think Harrison Ford donated it, and then they auctioned it off for 9,500 pounds. That's what it went mm -hmm. for at the time. Wow. When I post, when I did a video on Blade Runner, I got actually a really great email from someone who had bought the puffy outfit that um, Tyrell wears, you know, mm -hmm. the guy who owns the corporation. He's in right. his bed wearing this giant puffy coat. He told me he had bought that coat, and I was oh, like, wow. oh, my God. So wow. I've had a lot of really great comments from uh, Blade Runner fans over the years. That's funny. So, yeah, so that's my costume for that one. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. Harrison Ford has a uh, an interesting uh, history with hats and his hair. Um, mm. during, the, during the filming of American Graffiti, uh, George wanted him to get a haircut because – um his character falfa um i guess was pictured with shorter hair and harrison didn't want to cut his hair because he wasn't sure how long he was going to be in this movie um and uh he decided to just wear a cowboy hat for american graffiti um and it's funny that he cuts his hair in this and then the director um you know gets upset because of that but um it's Harrison's yeah, got him and Ridley. Uh, him and Ridley were not on good terms on this movie. I think a lot of people know that. Yeah. So there was there was definitely some friction happening there, and they've made up since then, though, right? Because <laughs> sure. they went on to do another movie together. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, Blade Runner, obviously, in the uh, I guess in you know in the groupings as far as science fiction fans, I mean, uh, Blade Runner definitely has its fans. It's uh, has turned into a cult classic um there's um it's funny i've got a dvd with like what the dvd has like what 27 versions of it because it's been edited and re-edited by the studio and the director and re-edited and uh um it's, yeah i uh, have like i have like a five cut director's cut like it's uh, my husband and i bought it for each other it came in like a little deckard briefcase and it came with a unicorn and so there's five like versions of the movie yeah. in that set it's that very, we bought it's very romantic by the way 
<laughs> I know someone asked if we had a wedding. No, but you know what? For my husband's fiftieth uh, birthday, we threw him a Blade Runner birthday party, and oh, we made cool. a we made a Blade Runner cake, and oh, it was a, like an owl with a blinking eye. It was so yeah. it was crazy. It was really funny. That's um, awesome. I actually kind of think that's sort of true about Blade Runner is Coruscant. I, I or Coruscant, sorry. I think that's kind of true. Yeah. Oh, uh, Charles uh, comment here. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, I think a lot. If you look at actually a lot of contemporary movies and shows now that are set in the future, for sure, they're totally inspired. That's Sid Mead, who is the production designer, uh, art director on the show. He was on the, on the movie. Yeah, I mean, even movies like Metropolis that, uh, you know, from 19, what, 1936, I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, just uh, when you talk about futuristic cities, it's just uh, it's almost like Coruscant, just, you know, mm -hmm. heavy, heavy city buildings, uh, you know, as far as the eye can see. And obviously, uh, you know, Blade Runner and, and Coruscant from Star Wars really uh, yeah, portrays that uh, fairly well, fairly well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of Coruscant, I was going to say that um, uh, was, what's that latest show that the Star Wars show uh, that Mandal was that Mandalorian? No, not the Mandalorian. What's the one that takes place uh, in, in Coruscant? It takes place all over, but. Um, oh, Andor? Andor. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Andor personally i think is probably one of the best costume designs i've seen in a star wars show like it is phenomenal i, I was just talking with something to somebody about that that exact I thing thought well i thought the whole show was amazing but i thought the costume design and he didn't you know and i was kind of sad because the designer didn't get any like uh accolades, accolades for yeah. it and i was talking to another designer about it and she said yeah she says i don't know what happened sometimes she said it's sometimes the people who are nominating, like, and there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a club, I guess. So it's like who, who's who kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he is an, he is a recognized designer, but he just doesn't get, he didn't get any accolades. So I thought that was awful because I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I really uh, enjoyed, um, I really loved the coats, the overcoats that the Imperials wore. Mm -hmm. uh, and and really their outfits are, are, are really, really well designed and, and beautiful to look at. Um, but the entire show, the entire series was uh, wonderful to look at um, for sure. One of my friends in the YouTube community told me he went to like some kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of fan expo type thing in England and the designer was there and a bunch of people showed up wearing the prison outfits and uh -oh. he was like speechless. He couldn't even believe it. Cause that's one yeah. of my favorite. Cause it's sort of like a THX, you know, yes. uh, uh, reference. Yeah. And, you know, I, I grew, I watched that movie when I was a kid as well, which again, I think is sort of crazy. <laughs> I was like a kid watching that movie, but I was like, I have to go back and watch all of, you know, George Lucas's movies. So I watched American Graffiti. I watched, you know, that one, his first film. And, and so, yeah, for sure. There's like an homage to that, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right, let's uh, get to the next costume, which I think was one of my selections. Mm -hmm. And is that it? is Batman. Um, so I, the, the one reason I wanted to, to really talk about Batman is there's a lot of symbolism in the outfit of Batman. And I think it wasn't there to begin with, but I think as, as the character got a little darker 
And as the movies became what they became, a, that were kind of separated from the campiness of the 60s and even the Joel Schumacher movies, I think Batman has become a character that uh, really represents, you know, we call him the Dark Knight, but now he's really, he's really dark, <laughs> um, in other words. But, you know, you take a look at the symbolism of of the bat. You've got the bat signal, obviously, overhead um, when uh, Commissioner Gordon calls for him. But uh, just the 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 icon of the bat against you know a, a background is uh, pretty recognizable throughout uh, you know throughout fans. Whether you've heard of whether you love superhero movies or not. Um, if you can see the silhouette of, of Batman in any of these outfits, you know exactly who, uh, you know, you know, you know exactly what the character is. And I think, uh, uh, you know, kudos to the designers. And I know Batman has gone through a lot of different re reboots and, and redesigns. You know, there's four of them up here, obviously, from Adam West all the way down to the current Batman. Um, but I think at, at its core, um, the costume for Batman I want to say kind of stays in, in, in that same, you know, neighborhood of, you know, instilling fear. Um, there's that darkness, obviously. Um, but I think Batman is one of those iconic costumes that, uh, you know, if you really, if you go outside the principal design of Batman, he, he no longer is Batman. And I know Batman has different outfits. Um, we see kind of like the, the metallic, looking um outfit with the white eyes um again from the um miller uh comic books um but um batman is definitely one of those uh costumes that is very iconic and uh recognizable all all throughout not just the united states but even in canada <laughs> oh yes we know who batman is <laughs> I'm a superhero movie watcher. I'm not a comic watch. Like I'm not a comic person, but I am mm -hmm. definitely uh, a, a, uh, like, you know, we were talking about guardians of the galaxy, by the way, I just saw that in the theater. Fantastic. Loved yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely iconic. One of the things you were saying, it's gotten darker over the years. I think I've just noticed that in general for all superhero costumes, they've all kind of gotten uh, yeah. darker. So like, you know, Superman would be, you know, red and blue, like sort of American colors. And now it's kind of become Muted. more like, muted or more maroon and obviously and i i do kind of think it's interesting is that robert pattison on the right yes so it's more uh that almost is less uh sort of naturalistic curves of like the abs it's kind of they've made it look more structured so it's right. sort of interesting sure yeah i think it's a, it's an interesting evolution that they've done whereas the adam west is almost cartoonish a bit sure yeah and you know uh, again just the i i think I think superhero um, shows, especially in the '60s, you know, it's it was more, you know, tongue in cheek campiness. Agreed. Um, I mean, they even had the, like the little. Didn't they have the little like you know kapow and like, yeah, little, just very comic balloon. booky. Yeah, right. it is is campy exactly. Yeah, um, the kit was sort of very. Yeah, it was it was sure. super campy. But it's funny because uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, but obviously the 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 there's a, a fan base for the the Batman of the '60s, and you mentioned Eartha Kitt. I mean, these actors mm -hmm. um, came into their respective roles with with great respect. You have Cesar Romero that played um, the Joker back in the day, and 
you know, you, you ask anybody um, who their uh, ultimate favorite Joker is. I mean, it's either Cesar Romero, really, or um, um, what's his name? I'm drawing a blank. Heath Ledger. Yeah, I was gonna say Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You know. the, or or but what about uh, Joaquin Phoenix now? Yeah. People, people mention that. I hmm. think, um, you know, but that's not a traditional like Batman movie. So maybe. yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the Robert Pattinson Batman is, um, is it, you made an interesting observation because I think the, the Pattinson Batman is almost like a, a prequel to the Batman's, um, you know, they, uh, this particular incarnation of, of Batman is early on in his career. Uh, there were mentions, uh, you know, there were hints of this being kind of like his first year being Batman, hearkening back to uh, a comic book uh, story arc of, uh, of the dark Knight. It's called year one. Um, so it's interesting. And I, I love, there's a certain aspect of this costume in particular. If you notice, let me zoom this up. Um, the the bat symbol in Pat, Pattison's chest. I think originally um, there were some internet rumors that were saying that that was the gun that uh, that killed his his um, his his mother um, in the in the story. That he kind of uh, was oh. able to take it apart and then create that shape almost as a reminder, a branding, if you will, of his pain and his emotion. Yeah, which, they, which I don't think they confirmed for for the most part, but yeah, I almost thought it looked like two hands, sort of like like shaking. Yeah, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. But oh, now uh, it, since you're talking about this, what do you think about the nipples on the armor, uh, Batman, uh, <laughs> George Clooney, Batman? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you my, one of my co-hosts, one of my co-hosts, um, I always tease her about the latex nipples on on the Batman. So uh, we're all for it. <laughs> Yeah, I well, it's funny because uh, there's been situations where you know I, I get into I get into discussions with people about you know boob armor or nipples on armor and things like yeah. that. So there's always you know that's that's going to be a, probably a thing that's going to go on for ages. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> everyone's never going to be happy about that. Is it necessary? Well, George, uh, I don't know if I don't know if you're into fantasy at all, but George Martin always says uh, that he'll use something like that's as useless as nipples on armor. Right. So it's not necessarily it's just an aesthetic thing. Right. Because, right. they, you know, the Romans used to wear like sculpted armor, but it, it would be just sort of to intimidate their opponent, not necessarily yeah. to, you know, to, to provide better nipples. protection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really necessary i actually even i've argued about this uh, sort of on some of my medieval movie uh shows that i uh do a analysis of that sometimes actually having those grooves in there can be in you know can actually be a problem with weapons um mm. because they don't glide off so but with with a superhero it's kind of different because sure. yeah. there's not you're not going to have swords and things like that yeah. but when you're talking about medieval then it's a little bit different that's too funny. Yeah. The, the, uh, yes, a screen door and a submarine. That's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> I want to use that. <laughs> but yes, the controversy of the uh, latex nipples continues. Mm -hmm. It'll For never sure. die. All right. So the next costume we have up is, and I forgot her name, Layla? Or... Lilu. Lilu. 
Yeah, actually, it was funny because I just sort of gave you the pictures and I didn't tell you who anybody was, but you sort of figured it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, being a fan of sci-fi, you know. Yeah. So um, uh, Fifth Element. The Fifth Element. Yes. Yeah. So this um, uh, this this is another movie. I went to see it. I actually saw it in at a movie like at a drive in. It was in the summer and I went to see this movie and it had like everything that I absolutely love in the movie. It had action. It had like a love story. It had things blowing up. It had really cool alien creatures, um, uh, like an, an awesome, like superhero, you know, like character in it. Uh, it was campy. The design was really cool. So the costumes for this were designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier, who's actually a fashion designer. But he's done a couple of really good movies where he's done design. And the designer, the sorry, the director is French, Luc Besson. Yeah. Was the director. So I picked this one. She has two looks, actually. She has like the bandage one. They call it the thermal bandages, which, you know, I thought was pretty cool. But this, she's in the movie mostly wearing this outfit. So I thought it was really great. And I'm trying to think if I'd ever seen Mila Jovovich before this, because she, you know, she went on to do Resident Evil movies and so on. Right. But she, was think, a, she was a supermodel before, right? She was a supermodel, yeah. exactly, and a yeah. musician. So when I first saw this, I was like, this is incredible. Like, I mean, I love the whole movie. Like, I love the McDonald's employees. I love the flight attendants. I love Bruce Willis's, you know, his his outfit. Uh, but I just thought that this was a really, really great costume. It's iconic. Uh, speaking of cosplay, it's been cosplayed like mm-hmm. a lot. So I don't have too much to say about it, except that the, there were some interesting things that happened during the making of this movie. Like they were, they actually had to shut down at one point because they didn't have, uh, they were having financing issues. They kept going over budget. And so the studio was like, okay, we're shutting this down and then to let them get more money. So in the meantime, before that, he had actually brought in um, the two guys who did Metal Herlant, which is like a French comic book. And he brought them in. So the designer, uh, the two concept artists that were brought in, they did a lot of the concept work even before it started going to production. And then Jean-Paul Gaultier got brought in. Uh, not too long before they went to camera. And so he was like sort of coming up with some sketches and everything. So he actually put something together, but it was actually the concept artist. His name was like Jean-Claude Mezier, who actually kind of came up with this look. And then Jean-Paul Gaultier and his team, they made it. So the, the you know, it's like basically like, like a spandex pant with a crop top and then like this rubber, <laughs> I call it kind of like a thong. It's kind of like, you know, it's like sort of, I don't even know what you would call a mallet. I'm not quite sure what you call it. And she's wearing boots with it. So uh, one of the things though that Mila Jovovich said though, is that the rubber, she called it the orange rubber section of her costume. She said it became problematic because it kept shifting out of place. So each morning the wardrobe would sew the piece directly to her costume so that it would lie flat and stay in place. Cause yeah. it does look kind of awkward, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and the and other thing not is very, not very comfortable, not very comfortable. No, and she has to do all these action sequences and everything. Yeah. And then the other thing is, uh, when Jean-Paul Gaultier originally designed it, he kind of had her in a bra top, which I don't think that would have been very practical. And then, and so they, they gave her this little kind of crop top as well. Cause there's this one really funny scene where she ends up in the shower 
and like uh and then because he's trying to hide her so he puts her in the shower and then she gets out and he gets a towel out and she takes her top off and she's like wringing it out and they're all like oh my god they're turning around like because they're they don't they want to give her her privacy kind of thing so there's you know there's just some humor in there and then regarding her hair uh she said Mila Jovovich said that it was actually Luc Besson's idea but some of the early concept art artwork has her with red hair so I think that there was quite a bit of early talk about her having that hair and then so at the beginning they dyed it but then her hair started kind of falling out from the bleaching and then the over dyeing and then so then finally they just had to do a wig for her oh wow yeah so it was her hair at the beginning but then they had to uh and I just think she's just, you know, absolutely stunning in the movie. Yeah. You know, it's funny what I when you sent me this picture, I tried to look for a better resolution version of this picture. And for some reason, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find I like could, a really good still shot. Of I couldn't her. either. You know, I have some I have some cropped ones of her in it. I have, uh, you know, but I could not find like a full body picture yeah. of her. So unfortunately, uh, sometimes the studios don't take good yeah. pictures of them in the costume. They know now to do that, by the way. Sure. Oh yeah. They know sure. now to do that. Yeah. You mentioned uh Gautier and I, well, are there, are there any other like really famous designers, fashion designers that have entered the costume world for, for filmmaking for movies that, that come to uh, mind? Yeah. Tom Ford, actually, he, he, Tom Ford has actually not only just designing, but he's also uh, a director and he does basically pretty much every Bond movie. He does oh. the Bond clothing at any rate. He does all the Bond clothes. And then they might have another designer doing the other parts. But yeah, and I'm trying to think of anybody else that has done this. Um, I can't think of anybody else. Like Julie Taymor, she's a director. She also does costumes. So, But I don't know if that's a good example. But there probably are a few more. Like I'll have to yeah. think about it. Yeah, But he's for I mean sure... I've That's seen cool. all his films. So he's done, he did the cook, the thief, the lover and, and her lover and his wife or whatever, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, city of lost children. He's done a lot of, um, this, uh, uh, the skin you're in, I think it's called like some horror movies. It's a oh, really Charles, interesting body of work. Charles has, uh, Armani did untouchables. Oh yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of costume designers, or sorry, a lot of fashion designers, they do go to the fashion designers. Like, for instance, uh, if you guys watch, like, especially contemporary shows, they will go to the, the fashion designers and the fashion designers. Oh, actually, here's an example. Givenchy uh, did a lot of um, the costumes worn, like, say, in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, he worked closely with Audrey Hepburn on a lot of the movies she was in, Sabrina. So they would have a costume designer, but then she, you know, uh, Jivashi would provide the clothing for the leading lady kind of thing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, we uh, we mentioned Armani and a movie like The Untouchables. And I think, you know, coming from a science fiction movie loving background, you know, we, we don't think about movies that are either period pieces or movies that are kind of set in the modern world. Uh, or even like something like the untouchables that are, are not like too far in the past where you still need um, outfits that existed back then that may not be, you know, readily available. You can't just go to Sears or whatever and get, and get, you know, a three piece suit like, like Al Capone had um, these things still had to be uh, designed and constructed. And I think uh, a lot of times 
we uh, we forget about that. We always think about, you know, costumes in science fiction and fantasy because they are so, you know, bigger than life. But, you know, we also have to, you know, think about the the uh, the suits that uh, are designed in movies that, uh, you know, may or may not take place in, in modern day or, you know, um, a near past or even a near future. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, and honestly, sometimes a contemporary design is even harder. It's like it's harder to do than, say, a futuristic world where you're you're just, you know, making it up. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody on the sh- on here is watching the new show Silo. Uh, I'm having a little bit of an issue with that show. I love it. But I'm having a little bit of an issue with it because one of the things that I always look for is where are they getting the clothing from? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's some, you know, there's some shows I'm watching. Okay. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous, you know, but that's always the thing that I look for. I always look for, you know, where, where are the sources of clothing coming from? Who's making them? What materials are available to these people within the society? Right. Um, uh, you know, like, uh, what are the trade routes? Uh, what, what access to dyes would they have? I always look at that. So in a modern show, it's really not that much different. It's just that they would probably go out to, uh, you know, a shopping mall to buy their yeah. clothing, but right. they're still telling the story of the, of the characters through their costumes. Yeah. And I, I, that's one of the, um, that's one of the cool things uh, when I was, uh, you know, reading about your shows and, and how you kind of break that down. I think, um, you know, we, we, I think we take granted, we take for granted uh, what costumes tell us in, in movies um, and maybe, maybe not so much, you know, sci-fi and fantasy because costumes are part of the, uh, of the tapestry of the storytelling in those franchises. Um, but you know, something like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, something like Peaky Blinders, for example, um, these are, you know, you know the great costumes, the, in right, show, by the way. great, great costumes, absolutely wonderful, wonderful costumes. And I love the fact that these costumes really, allow the actors to kind of, um, you know, get into the feeling of the character. Um, and they're part of the world building tools that directors have to, to kind of, you know, not only transport us, um, to that world, but the actors as well. And I, I think, um, it's, uh, you know, it's always fun to play, uh, dress up and, um, and pretend, but when you're doing it, both of them, both at the same time, uh, that's gotta be icing on the cake. Actually, bro, that's a really great point that you're making about the actor because absolutely it will, it can actually change, um, the experience of the actor. Uh, I've, I've read many times that the actor will say, I'm in a fitting, I'm trying on these different outfits. I get into the, this outfit that, you know, cause sometimes they'll try multiple costumes. They'll get into it and they'll be like, this is it. And then they'll walk onto set and they'll be like, you know, uh, like Loki, for instance, I'm in, I'm in my Loki outfit. I like feel like I'm Loki now. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. So it no for sure it definitely helps the actor, and I think sometimes it doesn't get the, you know, the credit it deserves. Unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right, Fifth Element, and let's go to the next one. All right, these people are familiar. We talked about Star Trek, and. Uh, I did want to. Uh, I, I think I picked the uh, the original um, the original cast of the original series because I think uh, for the most part, obviously these costumes are very iconic. Um, they also have a 
a very, you know, kind of funny in joke where uh, whoever's wearing a red outfit on an away mission, they're surely dead within the next, within the first five minutes of their away mission. But, um, you know, the, uh, the, the colors, um, you know, for these uh, costumes are, are colorful and obviously they're kind of a split between, um, I guess, ranks of the Federation when, it, when we're talking about um, the, um, the show. Uh oh, Megan is upset because I'm talking Star Trek and not Star Wars. Wrong, oh. sorry. Yeah. Uh, now I have to tell. I have to be honest. I don't know too much about these outfits. Um, I have seen some of the pictures of the outfits at auction, so I've seen some details. But I think this is one of the first cases that I can recall of like color blocking. Mm -hmm. You know, like like you were saying, using color to sort of help you identify who someone is. Right. I mean, they're all wearing black pants or the ladies aren't, they're wearing dresses, but they all wear the same bottoms and that, but they have that different color top. And I think that that's sort of carried through the series. Like, I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think about sure. that. Sure. Yeah. And I think later on in the series, like in the movies and some of the newer TV shows, they kind of flip flopped, um, like from the next generation to the, this show, um, gold in, in the original series, gold, uh, was used to represent command. And then you had blue, uh, which was science and medical, and then engineering with the red. I think when it came to the 90s uh, or the late 80s, uh, when the next generation started, uh, they switched things around. And I think red represented um, command and uh, they flip flopped a, a little bit. But yeah, it's it's it was part of their identity. It was part of, uh, you know, who they were as characters. You know these actors when they put on the uh, the outfits, um, absolutely. Yeah, like I'm thinking, like for instance, just looking at this, it reminds me of the Star Trek with Chris Pine. I think they went with the exact same colors. I could be wrong. No, you are you are you're absolutely right because yeah. the the, uh, the time era where the Chris Pine show um, mm -hmm. exists is very close to the original series time uh, time area. Yeah, they just gave it a bit of a different texture or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things that kind of cracked me up, though, about these outfits is, and, I, you know, they wouldn't have had the budgets, obviously. But when I was looking at a picture of them close up, there's this thing called rickrack, which is like a zigzag trim. And they use gold rickrack on the cuffs of the sleeves. And that oh, yeah. kind of cracked me up because... <laughs> It's like it would be like a dollar for a roll. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's how much yeah. it would cost nowadays. Yeah. It's cheap, right? So they they did kind of have to use. Um, but one thing uh, I have to say about Gene Roddenberry is he kind of came up with this edict of having no fasteners. Uh, there's no visible fasteners on any Star Trek costume that I can think of, like uniform, I should say. Yeah. So everything's hidden. And that was sort of a Gene roddenberry thing that he came up with i know i've heard he's a terrible person but uh but you know that's pretty amazing and that's kind of followed through mm -hmm. star wars like if you look at star wars you won't see any visible fasteners right. on the uniforms at least the imperial that i can think of well it's interesting because early in the year there was some controversy about uh, zippers in star wars and the fandom got the you know the group the certain groups of uh, fans um, got all in a tizzy about zippers and Star Wars, that and bricks and screws, but that's another story. Uh, so which Star Wars was it that there were zippers? Well, 
they were, you know, people like to complain about the the new slash Disney Star Wars and how Disney doesn't understand original trilogy Star Wars. But in The Empire Strikes Back, the uh, Luke Skywalker puts on a jumpsuit and he's clearly zipping the jumpsuit. So there are zippers in Star Wars. So yeah so no, there. Visible, no well i'm and i'm thinking like the imperial uh i at least the in, in terms of like star wars my understanding is if you look at the imperial you won't see any visible but yeah exactly right. there's a <laughs> in a jumpsuit for sure okay point yeah. taken yeah so they're probably just forgetting their own uh, canon right right that never happens here's a question from charles <laughs> for you heidi are you able to step away from the details of costumes to be able to enjoy it as a whole? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, in fact, sometimes I get so lost in a story, I don't even notice the costumes, which I have to say that's actually a pretty good thing. If you don't notice the costumes in a show when you're watching it, it would be the same oh, yeah. with like if you're watching a show, you don't know this music or you don't notice the set design or whatever or the special that's, effects. That, or... The special effects, that's actually excellent. That means yeah, that they've done an amazing job. But like something like Andor has so many fantastic outfits. Like it was like watching a runway show. I couldn't help but like notice them. You know what mm. I mean? So the, it is a bit of a double-edged sword in that way. <laughs> yeah. But like a show like uh, I'm watching right now, I'm watching Yellow Jackets. And, you know, I'd be hard pressed to kind of tell you what everyone was wearing. Um, at, yeah. at least. Uh or uh i don't know stranger things or something i probably wouldn't be able to tell you what they were wearing yeah but so unless something really stands out to me but sometimes what i do and i don't notice it until i actually s sit down and go through some of the larger high-res photos and zoom in that's mm -hmm. when i kind of really kind of notice things yeah that's interesting uh similar question i guess from uh my friend dave richards uh can i step away from the tech to enjoy so I was going to ask you, Heidi, because the way I watch movies, I watch it in stages. Like first, I'll watch it as a fan to kind of absorb everything that is being shown to me. And then, you know, if I watch it again the second or third time, that's when when my technical brain starts to to take over. Um, is the shot composed right? Why is the why did the director choose to put the camera over here? Um, the 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 technical aspect of, of movie making for me. Um, and again, it is definitely a double-edged sword because I can watch a movie uh, with my wife and she'll be like, Oh my God, that's so disgusting. Oh my God. And I'm thinking it's, it's not real. Um, I, I keep having to remind people that I watch movies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like the annoying guy sitting next to him. I'm like, you know what? That's CGI or this is the way they did this shot. Um, but I, I, I can't help it. Uh, to be able to watch a movie like that. Um, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse as they say. Yeah. Well, I, it was terrible. Like I watched, I think five seasons of the expanse with my husband and I just turned to him and go, what's going on here? Like I, I constantly <laughs> would be like, I don't understand or, or you know, and uh, he'd have to explain things to me. Uh, <laughs> but I thought the costumes in that, by the way, are amazing. Expanse. Yeah, totally. Hi Tina. Thank you so See you, much. Tina. Thank you for stopping by. Um, yeah, okay. So let's get to the next costume, which is one of your selections. Yes. Okay. So someone was asking about Logan's run. And you know, yes. it's funny. I thought about having Logan's Sandman 
outfit. And I don't know why. It's one of those things. It depended on my mood. And maybe I thought I should have a few female, a few male kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go with Jessica. And she has this other one that's really sexy. But I kind of like this one because this is the one that she wears when they escape uh, the City of Domes. And the other thing is, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, that the outfit she's wearing here is also the same uh, like sort of silhouette. It's the exact same version that is worn in the TV series, except they have her in pink. So I thought that was important too. So, uh, so the costume designer for this was Bill Thomas. Like he's like, he was a pretty big deal. He did a lot of Disney movies back in the seventies and so on. So here's another movie that I watched. I think this one I saw on TV, to be honest yeah. with you. I don't think I saw it in the theater. It was pretty adult. So it was one of those, I've stayed up late. My parents don't know I'm watching it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Totally like loved it, was obsessed with this movie when it yeah. came out. And, uh, and you know, it's funny. I did a video on the movie and I had like, I can't, like we were talking earlier about men who are obsessing about a particular actress during a time period. Yeah. I had so many men say I was in love with Jenny Agutter who played Jessica six here. Mm -hmm. And she was stunning. Like, I mean, honestly, you could have put her in a brown paper bag or something. She would have looked amazing. So yeah. <laughs> basically the outfit's really simple. It's just like a little tunic. I sort of look at this society of Logan, like of sort of like the future, this future world that's in Logan's run, this dystopia as being sort of like a hedonistic society. So the designer was sort of talking about how the outfits had to be like, you know, cause they're, they're, they're kind of like, you know, you can go on, you put yourself on a hollow deck or whatever it's called and you can have threesomes with people or orgies, or you can go to the orgy room or, you know, uh, so he had this idea that he wanted people to be able to slip in and out of their clothes really easily. Mm -hmm. So when Logan is off duty, he's not wearing a Sandman uniform. He's just wearing sort of like a caftan or something, which is very 1970s. So I look at these as being sort of almost like Grecian uh, yeah. style, like yeah. very, very minimal. Um, and apparently I had some of the people who played background in this movie messaged me. Apparently the outfits were like this awful, like polyester. Oh. Uh, so, and it was stinking hot in the summertime. So they were all sweating. Like if you see any picture of Michael York, he's always sweating. Cause it was just like, they were in Texas in the summer shooting at a shopping mall. Yes. Thank you, Megan. Um, and, uh, the other thing is, and this is very 1970s, they didn't wear undergarments, so the women didn't wear any bras. Uh, they wore pantyhose, but no bras and no like panties, apparently. Although there is one scene with Jessica where you can see her wearing panties for this one scene. But the other thing is that she's wearing um, this necklace with the onk on it, which is very important. You know, she's got the onk that's very important to uh, sanctuary, the symbol of sanctuary. And uh, I love this belt she's wearing. She's, she's wearing sort of a wrapped tie belt, but she's got this very cool spiral, sort of like Club 54, 1970s, sort of uh, disco tech kind of feel to it. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. So in fact, I found this picture of Farrah Fawcett. If anybody hasn't seen this movie, Farrah Fawcett was in this movie. She played Holly, who works in the beauty salon where they do like they can change your face and make you look like you're a different person. Mm -hmm. And I found this picture of Farrah Fawcett at Club 54 wearing sort of an outfit like this. It was mm. sort of like off the shoulder and very Halston, which was a, a big designer in the 1970s. So um, 
Yeah. So I love this costume. Her her hair and her makeup is very 1970s. Like it's very uh, timely of that period, which is sure. something you see a lot of costumes uh, in period films. You'll notice that even if it's like supposed to be 18th century, their hair and their makeup will oftentimes look like, you know, right. they're the seventies or eighties or wherever the time period was. So yeah. her makeup and hair are definitely 1970s in this. I mean, take but, a look at, you know, take a look at star Wars. I mean, obviously you shot in 76 and you yeah. had all the guys with the sirens and the, in the hair, these hair. Yeah. Um, and, so. and I think this movie was released as sort of like a way to kind of like capitalize off of uh, the, uh, or it was either came out the year before or the year after, but they were trying to sort of ride that wave of science fiction. Yes. But it just didn't do as well in the box office. Right. Um, and this might actually be where uh, George Lucas got the idea of telling uh, Princess Leia that, or Carrie Fisher that there is no underwear in space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? I just, that whole story, like that whole thing just cracks me right up. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't even... I don't even know what to say about that. It was funny because I just did a, an interview with this designer. She did a movie that said in the 1970s. So I said to her, okay, I let me know if you want to answer this question. If you don't, that's totally cool. But I said to her, what did you do regarding undergarments? You know? And she said, well, we either found like nude, nude underwear, or we would cut it, you know, like we would cut it so that there was no band and we would use pasties, like we would use um, nipple covers. Mm. So the girls weren't wearing bras, but they would put these things on so that they didn't have to worry, you know. But in these movies, you can tell. Um, <laughs> now, in the in the TV series, apparently, because of the censors, you can get away with things in movies that you can't get away with on TV. So they had to go through all these different iterations of Jessica because the censors were watching or the producers were watching go, Oh my God, this isn't going to be able to get by the censors. Like we have to do something about this. So they would try all kinds of different things to get around it. Like make the skirt a little bit longer or put her in a bullet bra or I don't know, all kinds of different weird things. And, um, but for the movie itself, like they were able to, to do some of these things. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, when, when you send me this picture, it does, uh, Megan is right. It does give me uh Leia vibes. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, the simplicity, yeah, well, and, the, the lines. Fabric. Yeah. And I, I was sort of like, I, it's funny cause I, I didn't realize this until I went back and looked at some of my, my writing, but I was comparing this to sort of Halston and the same with Leia. I think there's a definite Halston uh, through line there. Uh, mm -hmm. Halston was, this, you know, actually they made a movie about him recently starring Ewan McGregor. So he was a very famous 1970s women's clothing designer. And he used a lot of these types of fabrics like uh, silk jerseys and drapey, very drapey type fabrics that would mm -hmm. cling to the body. And he would cut them on the bias so that they would uh, sort of drape really nicely. Very like that's why I sort of compared it to sort of a Grecian style. Right. And uh, sort of a throwback to that. So and then also that like you see, they don't ever do the edges are never are never finished off. They're just sort of cut. Right. So. It's the same with Leia, like a lot of the nothing phrase because it's this particular way that they've cut it. So um, it does, I think, have a bit of a similar vibe to it. It has even that bit of a mock turtleneck on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, like uh, what is that, Leia's um, throne room outfit, the white outfit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, very sheer, the material that is used. 
Very nice. Well, I yeah. love Leia's throne room outfit, by the way. Yeah. Um, really, really nice. Yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, actually, when I was younger, I used to do a lot of drawing, and I did a pointillism drawing of that one when I was probably like 12 years old or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful costume. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Next slide. We have one of mine. And, um, you know, the um, the prequels uh, for Star Wars have some amazing costume work by uh, Trisha Bigar, I think, uh, is the uh, the name of the costume designer. And um, the costumes that uh, Natalie Portman wore as uh, Queen Amidala are breathtaking, to say the least. I think um, there is, you know, looking at a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, they uh, Trisha's uh, team traveled the world to acquire all these different types of fabrics and uh, their behind the scenes story is just amazing. Um, you know, I, 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 I was lucky enough to buy the book dressing a galaxy when it mm. was uh, on retail. And, uh, that book is crazy expensive now for some reason. I think it's used by a lot of cosplayers to really, you know, fine tune, uh, their costumes, but it is, it is in high demand. I think, uh, the lowest I've seen that that book is like $800. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow. But um, yeah, Queen Abadala, I mean, I, I think uh, Natalie Portman wears something completely different in every scene that she's in for uh, for this character. I think you can really tell the difference in um, in the material. I know a lot of costume material is, you know, sometimes visually you can tell that it's kind of uh, I don't want to say cheap, but you can really tell the, the, the heaviness and the structure of the material in these outfits. Yeah, it's really, it's, uh, it is amazing. I like, I just, uh, I don't know if you, if anyone, if your viewers or watch house of the dragon, but one of my issues with house of the dragon that I personally had is that, you know, these people are supposed to be a Royal house and their royalty and Queen Amidala, you can definitely see that, right? You can see it right away. Right. Uh, there's a weight to it. There's a gravitas to it. It was really, it was really funny. I saw this picture. I think it was yesterday. It was of King Charles and Camilla. And someone said it looked like they were cosplaying. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, my, actually my critique of them would be the exact same way I critiqued House of the Dragon. It would be that I didn't feel that the weight of the materials represented what it should have been of someone of that stature it should have right. been like you know really really heavy weighted like uh this company i used to work for we did a reproduction of queen amadella the one on the right mm -hmm. so for instance uh the gown like the red that's silk velvet and the way that they get those sort of circles is they like silk or sorry velvet silk velvet you it is evil. You can easily leave an impression on it, like by just doing anything. It just it it's so delicate. So what they do is they sort of press these sort of shapes onto it, and that's how you get that sort of texture. And I mean that was really clever, I think. But then the fact that they've mixed it with so many other, like there's probably at least uh, at least in the one on the right, there's probably like five fabrics going on there at least. 
but then also the, you know, all of the trim and, and the embellishments as well. And of course the headpiece is just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know um, there were some comparisons to these costumes with some uh, uh, older Native American headdresses, which George Lucas, uh, you know, kind of uh, took inspiration to that when it came to designing um, the headpieces for uh, the character. Um, well, the one on the right, I, I was going to tell you this. So, so yeah. years ago, I was working with this woman and she was from Siberia mm -hmm. and she had a book from where she came from. She was from the small town called Irkutsk. And she said, do you want to see this book? Oh, it's yeah. from my hometown. I said, sure. So I started going through it and there was a folk costume in it and it was Queen Amidala, the one on the right. Yeah. Uh, the cylinders hanging down. Right. And I was like, oh my God, that's Queen Amidala. Yeah. So, and if you look at some of the background players in, in the audience, like in the stands, like when uh, young Darth Vader is, uh, he's racing. Right. You can see that they're wearing those typical headdresses and everything. So, yeah, mm -hmm. no, for sure. They took a lot of inspiration from other cultures. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is is great. I think mm -hmm. um, one thing I wanted to mention uh, is I find it fascinating that uh, costume designers really, you know, I, and I, I think good costume designers really take their job seriously when it comes to finding a history for this character's clothing. Um, it's not just, okay, design a dress, make a dress here it is. But like you said, you know, um, I, I think some people really look for that history when they're watching movies, when they're watching shows like this, uh, you know, does it make sense in universe? And I think for a lot of people, you know, that may not register consciously, but it registers subconsciously and it gives you, I guess, the ability to accept or or deny the the history of the character through uh, through costumes and other things, of course. But I think costumes really has, um, you know, a really good connection when it comes to uh, to the character and um, and how that history has kind of developed, um, you know, especially as an audience you know, member just go, getting into the story, you know, at the point where you enter the story. Um, but, you know, somebody like Trisha Bigger, who designed a, a lot of costumes in the in the uh, prequels, um, there's a lot of effort that went into research and design and giving, you know, even though even the the history of, of a lot of the trim that is put on the on these costumes. I mean, the the one on the the far left here, you know, facing this image um there's kind of a like a gold um you know lattice pattern uh to it which uh, you know there's a lot of detail in in her costumes in general and i think that those orbs light up if i recall you know those yeah. those round sort of orbs mm -hmm. um yeah i have to say like uh you know to do a production like this would take a village like really it does and this is one thing i've noticed when i've been talking to to designers like you know you'll have the costume designer they may have like three assistant designers but then there's a you know there's a team of buyers and fabricators and dyers and you know uh people who do headdresses millinery uh footwear like all of that kind of thing yeah. it, it really like a show like that it there is so much love that's put into it and you can see it um yeah. i'm i'm an i'm a uh, an original trilogy lover i mean everything was much simpler then but you know i was just looking up i was just looking up this the other day sorry let me see if i can find it what the budget was <laughs> for the so you know when you get to this show i don't know what the budget on um that movie was but 
Uh, where is it here? I had it. Okay, so for for Star Wars, the original costume budget for the entire film of Star Wars was three hundred thousand dollars, which in today's dollars would be like one point two million. So just to give you perspective, in comparison, the budget for Rogue One was twenty one million. Yeah. So it was like tw almost twenty times as much. So that's pretty incredible. So yeah. by the time you get to this movie, uh. I don't know what the budget was, but they had some money yeah, <laughs> and you can absolutely. see it and it's on the you, screen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can definitely see it. And I think, uh, again, you know, especially with star Wars and I mean, obviously, you know, George didn't know he had a hit on his hands, uh, tried to make, uh, you know, captured lightning in a bottle on, on all aspects, both, uh, you know, special effects and, and costumes. Um, but, you know, they were very ingenious with the costumes um, and the costumes and the props. Uh, you know, the the lightsaber was uh, an old, you know, flash handle from, you know, uh, photography equipment of the 60s. And it's, um, you know, there's a lot of people that still try to look for the original, uh, you know, it's called a three cell flash handle for for photography on eBay. And they, you know, they deck it out. And um, but it's it's wonderful. It's it's. Um, Again, I don't know if I could do a plug for that row. I actually plug, got plug, to interview. Away. I got to interview Roger Christian, who is okay. the inventor of the star of the lightsaber. Uh, yeah. I think it was like Star Wars Day, like three or four years ago. And I have to tell you, it was probably the best day of my life. That's awesome. <laughs> it was cool. amazing. He lives in Toronto, where I live, which is so oh, crazy. Very nice. I just happened to find that, and I'm like, you live in Toronto? And so <laughs> we no, we just did it on on. Uh, we just did it through um, uh, Streamyard, but yeah. Uh, the most amazing thing. And what was really nice to talk to him is he also got to share with me some things about John Mollo. So that was yeah. so cool. Very nice. Yeah. Like John I, uh, I was just uh, discussing um, some uh, John Mollo art, um, especially uh, I've got all the, obviously the art of return of the Jedi, the art of star Wars and a lot of uh, his uh, drawings and sketches are, um, wonderful, wonderful pieces of, of history, um, with the franchise. And I, um, yeah, I love just kind of flipping through those old books. A lot of those books, you know, uh, as a young person, I used almost as uh, textbooks because I really, like I said, I just wanted to absorb as much as I could, um, design style technique, you know, the technical aspect of, of stuff behind the scenes. I just wanted to see how it all worked. And, um, and what, uh, you know, what went into it. Um, and I just, I loved learning about all that stuff as a kid. So fun. Absolutely yeah. agree. All right. So the next slide we have is this, ar this archaeologist. This guy. Who's that? There's a fedora now it's funny because I have two I have two Harrison Ford in this. It's funny, and I don't have Han Solo, but of course I adore Han Solo. So Han Solo, however you guys want to say it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, both of them are correct, I think. Okay, good. Uh, it's yeah, I'm, I always say things differently than other people. Uh, so I just put this in because, well, first of all, I was pretty sure you were an Indiana Jones lover. Uh, Absolutely. Where, yeah, I knew that. And I had I had done a video years ago called um, the 10 most iconic men's costumes. And I had this in there. And I think it is. I think it's actually probably easily in the top 10 most iconic men's costumes, even more, I would say, maybe than Han Solo. So um, and they are doing their fifth movie. So, you know, proof is in the pudding. So absolutely. 
The costume, this is done, the The designer on this was Deborah Nadulman Landis, and actually she's a professor now, but she also still designs. And she actually did an exhibit recently where she went around kind of trying to find iconic costumes from the years. Uh, some of them were with private collectors. Some of them were, uh, you know, in exhibits. And this one she put together. So one of the things that maybe people don't know, well, there's two things. One, did you know that Tom Selleck was originally supposed to play Indiana Jones? Yes, but uh, his Magnum PI contract would not allow him to yeah. uh, to be released for those. Yeah, and then the second thing is this outfit is actually based on another character named Harry Steele from a movie called Secret of the Incas. So Correct. it's from 1955, yeah. and it starred Charlton Heston. So if you ever see that movie, when you look at it, you'll go, oh. Hey, that right. looks kind it's of familiar. Yeah, right. So he's Jones. got the he's got the brown leather jacket. He's got the fedora, and uh, actually, Deborah Nadulman said that they did watch the movie like with the crew. So Spielberg was obviously inspired by that, but it it wasn't really a commercial success or anything, right? It it yeah. didn't do that well at the box office. So, uh, but it, so it, they, it was almost lifted, you know, piece by piece. Uh, the the outfit. I mean, even even the uh, the little leather satchel that uh, Indiana Jones carries across his his chest. Yeah, actually, I was I found this in my notes. So apparently, according to Raider.net, Indy's shoulder bag is actually from the mid 1940s. So it's not a, a remade prop. It's an existing oh, prop. Nice. And they said that these bags were standard issue to everyone in London because the government was concerned that Hitler's attacks might involve poison gas. So as such, hundreds of thousands of these bags were manufactured and issued British military personnel and British civilians during World War II. So that that's one thing about that little bag, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. And the jacket was actually made. It's it. So they didn't buy an existing jacket. They had it made at this place called Berman's and Nathan's in London. Berman's and Nathan's is like, it's kind of like a big costume house in London, England. It's now called Angels, the Costumers. And I remember I was mentioning early, earlier that they lost uh, Obi Wan Kenobi's robe. Mm -hmm. And then they found out later that's where they found it because Angels and yeah. Bermans did uh, most of the clothing for Star Wars as well. So they made his leather jacket there. But apparently when it came in, it was still like brand new looking and everything. So Deborah Nadulman, she sanded it down. She actually, they were all hanging out apparently the night before the movie was shooting. So she was there with, uh, who did they say they were there with? So it was Deborah Nadulman, Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford, and... Uh, was it uh where is it here can i find it in my notes now oh yeah sorry they were yeah so she said they were all sitting around after dinner by the pool oh yeah sorry karen allen was there as well okay and she says that ford was a carpenter and carried a big swiss army knife so she used that and mineral oils to soften it and finish it just hours before the 5 a.m call time wow so they were all like kind of sitting around the, like, I'd be like, I'm going to go get some sleep. Yeah. But you know, these are Hollywood types, right? <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what was the other thing I was going to tell you about his fedora? You can still get that fedora, by the way. Uh, it was made by Herbert Johnson uh, hat shop in Seville Row, London. So mm -hmm. the hat was the shop's poet model. So you can still get that hat, by the way, if anyone wants to buy it. 
this is on the bonus features of the DVD. Ndoman said that in order to properly age the, uh, the hat, she grabbed and twisted it. Then she and Harrison Ford both sat on it and eventually looked like a very lived in and well-loved hat. So <laughs> <laughs> they broke it down uh, organically. It was the same with um, Obi-Wan. Like apparently uh, Alec Guinness just rolled around in the sand and the dirt and that's how he got his robe dirty. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. And then the last thing a little bit I have for you is about the whip. So Indy's handmade 16 plate bull whip. It's of kangaroo hide. Mm. It was nine feet long, although some shorter versions were used depending on the shot required. And then it was sold at auction for 35,000 us dollars. According to Christie's Harrison Ford originally donated it to the Institute of Archaeology in London to help raise funds for a new facility. So wow. he's, He's a kind-hearted person. Very nice. That's mm -hmm. cool. So that's kind of cool, eh? Yeah, I mean, Indiana Jones is um, probably like the second, uh, my second favorite uh, franchise. Um, a lot of uh, great quotable, you know, things that pop into my head from time to time throughout the day. Obviously, the music by John Williams, who also does Star Wars, uh, very iconic uh, tunes there. Um, and such a wonderful, wonderful character and, uh, looking forward to, uh, June to see the fifth, uh, movie. Um, yeah, I was kind of, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know. But then I saw the trailer. It looks great. And they, I'm like an anti deep fake person, but I thought the deep fake looks, looks amazing. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things that I just really enjoy is just watching these, watching my favorite characters back. I don't care how old they are, but as long as they're back on the big screen, you know, it just, it, it brings, uh, you know, a certain joy to my heart to be able to see them. I mean, I'm watching Harrison Ford in the Apple TV show. Uh, what is that called? Um, uh, shrink, it's shrinking. 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 Yeah. That's a great show. Yeah, Love great it. Great show. And uh, it's it's just wonderful to see Harrison Ford back on the big screen mm -hmm. as Indiana Jones. You know, whether, you know, th this will be his last adventure, hopefully. Um, you know, if the rumors are true about uh, retiring the character and having nobody else play it, um, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the same with, uh, you know, Black Panther. They've retired that. Yeah. And I was, I thought that was a good idea, a good call. All right, so the next costume here, we're coming up to the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, should I do the song? Yes. <laughs> do you want me? Dun, 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 dun. That's a good picture, Excellent. actually, that one. So this is obviously uh, one of my picks as far as costume, iconic costume goes. You see the, um, the image behind me. Of course, uh, Darth Vader is probably my favorite character of all movies, all fiction, all whatever. Darth Vader is uh, the shit, as they say. Um, he is, um, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about Darth Vader as a character, uh, especially when it comes to his costume, um, again, you know, not not too uh, dissimilar than uh, Batman. If you see a silhouette of Darth Vader, you know exactly what you're looking at. You see the cape, you see the long lines, you see the familiar helmet um, that uh, you know has you know some history in in uh, Japanese samurai uh, lore. Um, but Darth Vader definitely for me is, uh, my favorite character. I think his outfit is, is amazing. Again, you know, kind of, uh, borrowing elements from, uh, from Japanese, uh, samurai, 
and uh, you know the the feudal era of Japan. Um, the the boots are amazing. The uh, the inner cloak is awesome. Uh, yes, Dave, impressive, most impressive. Um, absolutely love love Darth Vader. You know, not only as a character in the in the franchise with Star Wars, but uh, just really his costume. Um, it's uh, again, it's iconic, and it's it's one of those costumes. And characters that if you've never seen a Star Wars, you show a picture of Darth Vader, people know exactly who he is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's funny because um, I, uh, my stepmother, she works at the museum in, oh, <laughs> my stepmother works at this museum in Toronto and, and they have a huge samurai collection there. And she's, she comes up to me one day or she calls me and she says, did you know that, Star that Darth Vader is like based off of a samurai? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And then, um, but I've had discussions with people because John Mollo was, uh, who's the costume designer, he was also a military expert. He mm -hmm. wrote, wrote all these books on military history. And so he had, he was actually hired oftentimes as a consultant. And so there is a bit of a hybrid, I would argue, between World War II, like the World War II Salet, which is inspired by the, uh, the the Japanese uh, Edo period helmet, um, and and the the, the World War II German Salet. Like for instance, his boots. I was I was just reading this when going through my notes. His boots are actually riding boots. Did you know that? They're actually British, like you know, knee high leather riding boots. Oh, that's but cool. he's but he's wearing I think. Um, and, and then he's got a little bit of medieval in here too. Like, you know, some of the parts kind of have that little, like the cape, for instance, apparently was like a medieval style cape. Um, so they, they've sort of married some different sort of influences. But I think if most people are Star Wars lovers, they know that, you know, uh, Kurosawa was sort of an influence on George right. Lucas, but the Spaghetti Westerns and then like Flash Gordon and he had all these different influences. So I, I love that it's kind of like bringing this. But the one thing that I think is really amazing, though, the costume, even though it was a costume designer, it was really Ralph McQuarrie who kind of came up with this look. Sure. So as a kid, I was like Ralph McQuarrie was, you know, the shit. Speaking of that. Uh, when I was in my Star Wars club, we I would get like they would send us like eight by ten photos, and oftentimes it would be uh, a Ralph McQuarrie drawing or sketch or something like that. So had them up on my room. I had a book, a scrapbook that I made. So I've always been a big, um, as much as I love John Mallow, and I think it's fantastic. I think this this actually really is a, a, a Ralph McQuarrie um, design inspiration yeah absolutely i think uh there is one ralph mccrory image of uh vader fighting luke skywalker luke skywalker has like a breathing apparatus mm -hmm. um and i think uh i had that in my uh in my bedroom in high school um, it's very famous very very famous and i loved uh, yeah. that look well and, you apparently know, did you hear this story like originally like sort of vader was supposed to be like a bedouin like you know you know because like dune is sort of an inspiration so right. he had this idea that he'd be like a bedouin sort of like dressed in black with the shroud around his face and everything and then it was macquarie who said well wait a second is it going to be going between ships like how's that going right. to work how is he going to breathe right. so he came up with this idea of him having a breathing apparatus that's why i sort of think that that's 
even though George is sort of describing to McCory what he thinks he should look like, I think really McCory had a lot of influence. Influence. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there's a comic book series that, uh, that kind of tells George Lucas's original story ideas and he's got uh, Vader in there. um, Anakin. Um, But yeah, absolutely fascinating. You know, it's funny too, because I, what would Star Wars look like without Ralph McQuarrie? I think it would really look very different. Um, and I know Ralph McQuarrie had his hand in designing a lot of other science fiction from the seventies. Obviously, we we uh, we mentioned Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of uh, Ralph McQuarrie in that, um, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. And that's got sort of like an Egyptian kind of, you know, yes, if you look yeah. at this, the um, what, what I was going to say, one of the things I love, I'll say the Mandalorian, you can see like Doug Chang, who's now the current uh, sort of uh, art art director, I suppose right. you would call him. You can see that uh, they've, you know, they've harnessed, they've, they've reused some of mm-hmm. Ralph McQuarrie's concepts. And, and I think that like I, his family must be like, that would be so thrilling to see that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. I don't know if you are um, you're probably not a um, Star Wars animation watcher, but Darth Vader appears in the show Rebels and uh, the outfit and the mask in Rebels for Darth Vader is very reminiscent of the Ralph McQuarrie um, look. He's got some very it's a little it's a little slimmer. Yeah, it's a little yeah. slimmer and um, the lines are a lot more deliberate and sharp, uh, even even the profile of him um, when uh, when he's shown in profile is uh, I don't know. There's something about that helmet that uh, is is just uh, amazing. I have a friend who's really a fan of the of the animation series, and and I said, okay, maybe I should check it out because like I usually don't because you know it's like it's animated. It's not like a costume designer hasn't done it, and I just have never kind of entertained it. So, but it sounds like I should. <laughs> yeah, so you know, Clone Wars too, you know. Yeah, uh, Dave Richards just uh, that comment I made, and Chopper, the character of Chopper the Droid, is very uh, Ralph McQuarrie. When you look at the original drawings for C3PO and R2D2, um, you know C3PO looks like uh, the character, the dro- the um, android from uh, Metropolis, and you've got uh, you know R2D2 with the arms you know sticking out of the dome, which later is used as as Chopper, hmm. um, which I think is is cool. You know, the thing about animation is funny, you know, obviously it's animation, but it's a medium that really, um, it, it, it tells, uh, it tells a very interesting story. I, um, have, I have said that I really have enjoyed star Wars animation a lot more than, um, than a lot of the live action stuff, because I don't know, there's something about the planning and animation that you really have to plan, you know, uh, a little more intense, I think, because you know you're you're kind of setting your plan in in stone when when it comes to the animated process, um, you can always reshoot stuff. But I think to be able to re um, draw uh, certain scenes really gets costly, and not that reshooting doesn't get costly, but I think it's it's more the storytelling and animation is more deliberate. And I don't know if you've seen any of the Vision, Star Wars Visions shorts. Um, you really should because okay. the, story, the stories in those will blow you away they don't hold back emotionally yeah yeah no i i will excellent <laughs> yes yes megan our uh my my lovely friends know me yes he is so, the best villain ever uh, though 
Um, let's see. Uh, do we have one more? One more. Yes, yes. of course. Just the to better. piggyback off of you. All right. So I was I was saying to you, you know, that I dressed up as, you know, when I was 10, I dressed up as Leia for Halloween. I had brown hair, so I was able to kind of just do my hair up in a coil that wasn't like as big, as good as that. And I made my dress out of a sheet. I wore it with like a white turtleneck and then my brother made me this blaster. So <laughs> this, this, this costume definitely had an impact on me. You know, I think it was one of the first times I'd ever seen a strong female. And I know that sounds sort of cliche, right? Yeah, but we hadn't really true. seen a female, you know, that was mouthy, that was beautiful, that was strong, intelligent, a good fighter, you know, she can handle herself. So I think that it was that's sort of part and parcel why I love this so much. And and the costume is so simple. Like it really is. And right. so someone was it's funny because I going back through my notes, like there is some influence from Dune on Star Wars. And then I was watching Dune. I actually my husband works at the film festival every year. So he snuck me into Dune so I could see a screening of it before it had, it had been released. And then I noticed that Lady Jessica, one of the mm. early scenes, I couldn't even believe it actually. She is wearing basically this dress, but mm. in black. And I thought, wow, like talk about kind of like full circle, you know? Because right. yeah. she, at one point she has it down, but it's like at the mock and then she puts the hood up and she's yeah. outside in the rain. And when I looked at it, cause like the, the, the uh, it's almost like um a like the, it's a very full hood because it's it's all gathered into her neck so it has a lot of fullness that Leia can cover her hair with. So I thought that was really interesting. So this costume um you know it was designed by John Mallow but again it went through a lot of I was looking through like all of my notes and there were a lot of people who had a hand in this design including Ralph McQuarrie who I had mentioned already. There is another concept artist um who is it? Uh, Alex Tavolaris. You might have seen some of his artwork. So he he actually like they you know they had her as a blonde, they had her as a brunette. Um, they were kind of basing her off of uh, uh, Flash Gordon. There was a character mm -hmm. in Flash Gordon. So one of the things that I got into a fight, and I don't know why I did this because this is the dumbest thing. Don't ever get in a fight with people on social media. What? I got, I, got <laughs> I got into a fight about her buns. So they're like the, the bun issue is going to be kind of like anything like it's, I don't know that it'll ever be solved, but basically what my opinion is, is that I think George, when he talks about the inspiration for the buns, I think he is misremembering. Um, I think the simplest answer is usually the most accurate answer. And what it was is that Leia or like, sorry, Carrie Fisher had a hairstylist who was Irish, this really great Irish hair, hair designer. And she basically, you know, had uh, Carrie Fisher come in and she had all these sort of inspirations for different out, uh, styles of hairdress that they could come up with. And so they were just playing around. They were just sort of playing around with different, ways to do her hair. And so they tried out this particular look and then Carrie Fisher went down to show George and said like, what do you think? And he's like, well, what do you think? She goes, I like it. And he's like, okay. So that's, I think that makes sense. So there's all these other arguments about like, you know, is it, you know, Mexican banditas or something, or 
is it and like... i and i have seen the the mexican uh bandito picture of uh of the uh the buns uh, inspiration supposedly for for leia here yeah so there uh but there was this there i i still don't buy it like there was this thing um where i think they were talking about where is it here uh Me mexican revolution there was a style of doing the bun where it was like kind of twisted like this and they put a stick in it mm -hmm. and that was actually um that was actually queen amadella who had that style it wasn't right. leia leia's yeah. is like a cinnamon bun right so right. if you look at like say old flash gordon the main character and the female character in flash gordon had that sort of style of braid on her hair it was quite like it was braided and coiled so like that but also in the 1940s like a lot of women would wear their hair like that like but also medieval like you'd see women with a sort of medieval style they'd have these buns and then they might have braids hanging down and stuff very medieval because it was kind of like uh what they call a call uh, they used to put these cages yeah so that one's got like um as, as, as it's that one's like a twisted thing so okay this is just my opinion but i don't really buy it <laughs> because i think george is just misremembering um that that that's the case so this particular style what they do is they take it and they twist it and they put a stick in it um and that isn't and that's actually a hoppy woman it's not a, a bandita right. or whatever that yeah. was the other thing so anyway that's my opinion you guys can say wrong but anyway that's <laughs> what i think so and here's the uh here's the bandito yeah hold on a second which looks uh yeah looks looks like leia let's get these <sighs> damn you here it is on this side Yeah, it's mm -hmm. this one, this one over here. But yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I personally think that George is taking credit for something that he didn't do. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and I mean, and George has done that before. Like he's, I he's misremembered. So this is where I got into a fight with people on social media. So I tend to always go with what is the most simple. Oh, there, see, there's Queen Amadella there. So that right. looks to me yeah. more like that than the mm -hmm. Leia one does. Yeah, Leia's isn't like a cinnamon bun. It's it's done like a crescent. Yeah. Whereas that one is like a twist. So um, that's my personal opinion. You guys can disagree with me, uh, but that's what I personally believe. Interesting. And yeah. Now, in terms of her her costume, though, it's sort of like uh, like someone called it like mock medieval. Like it's it's sort of got a bit of a medieval thing. You got the full long sleeves and everything. You got the the hood. Uh, it's full length, but then it has a bit of a you know a modern twist to it, and. I've been sort of racking my brain for like ages, like, why is it white? And then I found this sort of quote, I think it was from, excuse me, I think it was from John Mollo, where he was talking about how, you know, like on Tatooine, everything is sort of earthy colors, you know, everything is sort of natural looking, mm -hmm. woven. But then on the space station, like on the Death Star, you've got every, like the stormtroopers are white, Darth Vader is black, you've got the... Uh, um, the Imperial, they're either in black or sort of gray or that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So what they were saying is, even though Leia, let's say we know now, is Luke's sister, 
Uh, at the time, we didn't know that. And so they were saying that she's kind of more of the technological world as opposed to Luke, who is sort of more from the natural world. So that's the reason why they were saying she's in white to kind of tie in. And then she has the silver in her belt uh, to sort of, you know, the white and silver in her belt to sort of tie into that metallic, you know, uh, world. But, you know, back to the makeup I was talking about, her makeup is very 1970s. I liked her makeup, though. I remember at the time I thought it was great. And, and then, but she's wearing a sort of like, her boots are very, you know, um, they're almost storm stormtrooper-ish. They're almost like stormtrooper boots. Yeah. Like mag boots or whatever they would call them in, uh, in the expanse. Right. So they're very like, even though she's dressed, uh, beautifully, she has these like kick-ass boots that she can get things done with. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Um, now one thing I was going to tell you that I was looking at, and I don't know where I got this from, but it said that uh, on her belt, Leia's center belt buckle, like hands, is in the shape of a hexagon. The final belt contained an upside down pentagon to fit into the downward point of the belt. I'm not sure if it was intentional, but the shape represents the four elements plus the fifth element of spirit, a perfect moniker for Leia's character. So I don't know where I got that from, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I do remember the belt. I mean, it's being covered a little bit here by the fabric. Yes. Um, but, you know, from other images, obviously, we, uh, we know what the yeah. uh, what the belt looks like. Another thing that I I uh, I haven't seen the costume in person, but I didn't think it was silk. Someone said in on in my comment section that it is silk. I didn't think it was silk, and the reason is is silk is very like it's not a very good fabric to use. It tends to snag really easily. But the other reason why I didn't think it was silk is like do you know Marilyn Monroe's um, dress, some like a hot dress, the one that right. blows up on the subway grate. Mm -hmm. um, that one over the years, it started out as white. Over the years, it's kind of become an acre color and uh, it's gone to auction and everything because that's what happens to silk. It oxidizes over the years. Whereas I've seen pictures for her dress and it still kind of kept that kind of fairly good white color to it. And so that's what made me think it might be, there was a fabric in, back in the day called Kiana, which was like, again, it was used by uh, a lot of the designers and it was made by DuPont in 1962. And like, it wouldn't mm. fray, it wouldn't like snag. It was just kind of like, uh, you could wash it, you could throw it in the washing machine and take it out. It would be perfect. Hmm. You know what I mean? So that's why I thought it was maybe that, but I can't confirm or deny that. So it would make sense. Like, it would make sense. Yeah, Especially, just, uh, you know, product from DuPont, you got uh molecules kind of, uh, Exactly. It said it had a silk, it was silk like. Yeah. It had a silk like blend. And I was telling you earlier that that dress that was used in um in uh Logan's Run was mm -hmm. also like a polyester. So I think that was a popular thing to use in shows because they probably would have had to have duplicates and so on sure. of that. By the way, I was gonna say for Darth Vader, I read in my notes that apparently there were only two helmets made, possibly three, they said. Back in the day. That was it. That was yeah. it. Can you imagine? Yeah. Now, when and they I, went to do Empire, they probably made more. I, sure. I know they did make more, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't symmetrical. No, it, uh, they they built it up on. Apparently, the costume itself was built on. Uh, what's his name's body? Um, David David, David Prowse. Yes. Yeah. So they they made a cast, and then they yeah. Mm. And I saw pictures. Like it was really weird. I saw some pictures of some of the costumes that went to auction, and they put foam inside of it, and it was like, or they'd have duct tape, like <laughs> you know, it was kind of like 
really patchy and sort of put together and not, you know, what you would think. But again, like they didn't have a lot of money back then. Right. Sure. So, yeah. so Leia's costume might've like, I know her Imperial costume, sorry, the one that she wears at the, um, the, the medal ceremony, she, they bought that out, the necklace and the, and the cuff that she wore just at like a jeweler in New York city, I think. So it was, they yeah. just bought something off the rack. Same with uh, Luke Skywalker's um, jacket from the uh, throne room, the award ceremony mm -hmm. that yes. that was found at a thrift store. I heard. Yeah, and yeah. his and his pants were Levi's. Yeah, that they just sort of bleached and took the pa the pockets off. So you know they did what they could, right? Sure, absolutely. I, so I think cool. the, the inventiveness of the of uh, you know again the folks behind the scenes there. Um, I really love hearing those stories. Yeah, and actually Guido wore a, a jacket very similar to right. his ceremony one. Yeah. Um, just in a different color. Right. So and it was funny because I then I think it was you who was showing pictures of like pleading. I think it was from um Picard, you know, showing that pleading. And I'm like, they've been doing that for like decades, right? In science fiction, using that. Pleading. Oh, yeah. They, uh, yeah. I yeah, love that. It's how you always see like a jacket or whatever, like Rogue One, obviously, and yes. Cassie and Andor. And it's from um, these 1970s. Got, yeah, it's yeah. from these 1970s motorcycle yeah. jackets. And even Vader, they were looking at motorcycle helmets originally to kind of figure out how to do Vader's helmet, like how you know he could breathe and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So they were looking at the structure of those to see how could we put this together. And that's how I think John Mala kind of came up with, you know, the, they decided to do it in pieces so yeah. that it would, you know, they could easily remove it if they have to during sure. a take or what, rather than having it being one solid, solid thing that went over his head. Yeah. It's too cool. I think um, I would encourage anybody that uh, stumbles upon any of these books, um, the art of, or any of the costume books, because th there is really a lot of really great work that uh, is, is displayed and, and featured in these books. Um, the artistry, the craftsmanship is, uh, is just amazing to, to look at and kind of look in detail. And I, I guess that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, that particular book, uh, dressing a galaxy is so expensive because people, um, uh, you know, that's one of the first books that I flipped through when I got it that, um, has so many, you know, really crisp studio, you know, shot pictures that's got, you know, they're a great reference for anybody that might want to cosplay. Um, there's so much detail in those pictures that, uh, you know, I, I can see why it's uh, why that book in particular is coveted so much by so many people. Yeah, that's that's a good point about how they, you know, like Lucas or um, they have the uh, what is it at the ranch? They have all these costumes and storage. Yeah. And, and I know I've I've read that, like, say, the designer of. Um, the, not the Mandalorian, but the other one, she went down there and she was looking at some of the costumes, uh, Boba Fett, has, sure. uh, which I know you weren't as crazy about the second one. I wasn't either. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they do have this. And so what's great about that is that they'll pull everything out of storage and then they'll put them on mannequins and they'll do close-ups. And, you know, it's like, yes, that's what we want. Cause you know, a lot of time you don't get to see those details and even the photo shoots, like, even though this is from a photo shoot with Leia that you had just had there, they, they, you can't find high res photos. Whereas nowadays everything is done in high res and you can zoom in and. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of the, it's great. Um, again, just, you know, the costumes that are made for movies, you know, they help you be transported to a galaxy mm -hmm. far, far away. And, um, 
you know, if uh, if you don't pay too much attention to 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 costumes and movies, I think uh, I would encourage folks to to do so because um, I like reading into, uh, like you said, just the history of the character through costumes, and it's uh, it's fascinating to me. I love it. Yeah. It's, um, and it's fun. Yeah. Like it's really, it's really fun. Like sometimes when I'm just like I'm doing a little bit of research on something, I go down a rabbit hole, and I have so much fun. That's probably the best part of doing my YouTube channel is just like going down these rabbit holes and just like, oh my gosh, what a great like. There's always so many cool stories attached to it, right. and that's what I love. That that's what I love the most. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, any final words on some of these iconic movie costumes that uh, we've been talking about? Um, always great to kind of uh, pick these things apart from uh, a deeper level of, of understanding. I love just, you know, diving deep into these topics. Love it. Um, I well, yeah. And I, I, you know, say, for instance, if you were to, to ask me like next week, like say if it was next week, I probably would have changed my mind. But I feel pretty good about this list. And yeah. I think one of the things, like, for instance, I did a video on the top 10, what I thought were the most iconic women's costumes. And one of them I had was Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Okay. And someone said, oh, that's just a shitty little blue dress. Like, right. who cares? And I think what, what makes something iconic isn't just, like, the quality of it. Because obviously there's going to be costumes out there that are more beautiful or you know, sure. that you might want to wear or something, whatever. Uh, but that's not the point, right? The point is, is that it it's like you say you would see that silhouette of darth vader you would know it right away probably mm -hmm. even if you've never seen the movie before everyone pretty much knows across the world who darth vader is it's so iconic it's so memorable and um and i think that that in that case you know and you don't say ever it's sort of like the mandalorian i mean when you're thinking about it you're like oh my god uh, Pedro Pascal has played the Mandalorian with a helmet on his face the whole time. Like, how do, how often does that happen? Hello, Darth right. Vader. Now, and then you've got his voice as well, right? Um, yeah. Which also, also is iconic. But, uh, you know, truly, it's it's like, you know, these, these types of costumes go down in history. And mm -hmm. I'd love to think that even like 100 years from now, people will still remember them. I think they will. I think mm -hmm. they will. You know, obviously... You know, Star Wars has been around for uh, quite a few decades, and we're still talking about uh, mm -hmm. every aspect of that of that movie. You know, we're all trying to kind of recapture lightning in a bottle um, with uh, with everything that we talk about. You know, especially being a Star Wars podcast. Um, but um, absolutely, it's uh, it's something that'll st that'll stick around, uh, continue, and hopefully, really continue to inspire a new generation of creative people. Whether it's uh, you know folks uh, that like to edit or create graphics, uh, but also you know design costumes and uh, do that sort of thing uh, for movies or theater or whatever, because I think it's uh, you know there's uh, there's no eye in in there's an eye in filmmaking, but there's no eye in team when it comes to putting together you know um, such iconic movies. Uh, especially the type of movies that uh, that we really like to talk about and sink our teeth in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, of my list, what would you, what would I'm going to ask you, what would you be your favorite of the list I put together? And then I'll, uh, I'll pick yours. 
I have to say um, Indiana Jones, obviously, because again, in, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a really wonderful favorite movie of mine. It's uh, probably my second, you know, favorite franchise of of uh, of all time, movie wise. So Indiana Jones for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think I picked Darth Vader. I actually thought about having him. So I was like, no, I should have a woman. Like that's sort of why I went, you know, there. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. But all, all great picks, all wonderful costumes. And um, I'm really glad, uh, like I said, you said yes to, to coming on the show and really talking and, and deep diving in iconic movie costumes. It was a, uh, it was a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun, a fun way to spend a Saturday night. Absolutely. Like I said, time flies when you're having fun. We've been at it for about two hours, but why don't you tell the folks uh, that are still in the chat that survived our discussion where <laughs> people can find you to say hello there. Sure. Uh, so I have a YouTube channel. It's called Costume Co., like my name here. And uh, you can find me there. I'm also on Twitter, like uh, uh, like Ro is. And that's always a great place to say hello to me because I'm I'm pretty much on there every day. So uh, come and check me out there. And it's also, I think it's Costume Cinemato. I am there. So. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Ro. Oh, no problem. Come back anytime. If you have another topic you want to discuss. Uh, I'd love to. And I'd love to have you on my show. If absolutely. You're that okay, would great. be awesome. We'll Excellent. come up with some idea. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, everybody in the chat for joining us here on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. If you are new, thank you for joining us. Uh, we usually uh, love talking about movies, uh, and uh, this is uh, our passion. But Excellent. Um, on behalf of the Red 5 Network, if you wanted to explore some other content creators, check out Red 5 over at bio.link slash Red 5. Uh, we've got over 30 uh, content creators, 30 shows over there to kind of uh, explore. But uh, thank you very much. This is Ro from the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Until next time, that's the Scuttlebutt. Talk to you guys later.